So, uh, we're on each time I start, and let the fragments stand, I'll embarrass somehow. Uh, I was telling Lowell and, and John, I, I'm, I'm working with the Google Drive, and I'm trying to put some resources up there for you. This morning I was working on it, and I loaded up uh, several videos. And that's, I guess that's cutting-edge technology. And the, the YouTube videos are fine. There's a couple of Celebrate Recovery videos on there. But I got some other sources as well, and I loaded them. I don't know if it was just taking a long time to process, and this afternoon they'll be available. If they're not, and you want to watch them, uh, and you can't find them, let me know, shoot me an email, and I'll try to figure out why you can't watch them through the Google Drive. But this one I would really recommend. This is Dr. Kevin McCauley. He was a Navy surgeon and got addicted to prescription drugs. Was writing his own scripts and went to uh, Leavenworth. And when he got out, he began to research the neuroscience behind addiction. And uh, this video is about an hour long, and it's called Pleasure Unwound. Somebody Google that and make sure I got that right. Dr. Kevin McCauley, Pleasure Unwound, I think, or maybe Unbound or something. I know that's quite there. But he takes the position that addiction is a disease, and that is controversial. And the, the, the materials that I put up on there take both positions. So I'm not arguing for one position or the other. But um, some of the other resources, because I'm a graduate of Abilene Christian University, yes ma'am. Unwoke, thank you. Got close, Angeline. <laughs> Unwoven, thank you, Angeline. Woven. What's that? Yeah. But he does a really good job of explaining why addicts, uh, and I've got Mac Owens, um, Mac and Mary Owen were interviewed by um, Cook on the Family, and it's a two part series. And, the, and Mac talks about the fact that he. I mean, I'll let you watch it, but, but the point is that an addict gets to the point that they cannot stop, no matter how much they want to. And I think that that's theologically sound. I think that Paul is describing that in Romans chapter 1, where in chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, three times he says, God gave them over. God gave them over to their sinful desires. And I think that's what happens to the human personality. If we give ourselves to something, especially an addicted substance, we will find ourselves in a helpless, hopeless situation. And that's addiction. And Dr. McCauley is arguing um, the reason that he argues for using the paradigm that it's a disease is because then it would be an issue for the medical community to deal with. Right now, if our society rejects it as a disease, who deals with the problem? Law enforcement. And so we have prisons overflowing with people who should be being treated instead of locked up in warehouses. Because that's because when they get out, there's been no treatment of the underlying cause, and they go back and relapse. I preached a funeral yesterday of a man in his 30s that had been in prison, hadn't used for eight years, got out on parole, immediately relapsed, quit, stopped, didn't quit, went several months, 
and you know when you get off of that stuff your tolerance goes way down had a relapse and began partying at the level that he was at and OD which is common so you use the level of narcotic or whatever drug you're using that you were using last time you used but your body's tolerance is down kills it pretty common story well, go, go look at his, uh, his arguments. You know, again, you don't have, I'm not here to persuade you by the other. What I'm here to do is expose you to uh, the ideas. Yes, ma'am. But you get the way in your feet. And I was teasing. I knew you were waving at me. I just wanted to embarrass you. All right. So today uh, is obviously my turn to uh, relax. Baruch will be uh, running the next. Right, Baruch, for our uh, make a note, I've already said this, check the Google Drive often, several videos on addiction and hope celebrate recovery offers have been uploaded. Um, all views of addiction are presented. There's a particularly interesting, um, I believe it's a TED Talk, a TED Talk. And she is a medical doctor and she takes the position that, you know, it's either a disease or it's a choice, and she says it's a disease of the will, the free will. And that's, that's the understanding based on my experience. You choose, of course you choose to pick up the bottle, of course you choose to inject the substance, but it leads to an addiction that you will find yourself incapable of breaking without help. Alright, you know, October 6th, Sunday, in the back here, over here, the clipboards, if you guys, Terry and I are going to have um, what we're calling an information on October, right after our morning uh, session, you guys come in, well, in here, we'll feed you out here, and the reason we need you to sign up is because we need to know how much chicken enchiladas to make, right? Um, but what I want to do, what I'm doing and what Eddie's doing, is trying to give you the principles that underlie the Celebrate Recovery program. It's one approach. It's one approach to reaching out to people who are have hurt, hang up in habits. It's one approach to church being more welcoming to people of our society who are struggling with hurt, hang up. It's one approach. It's not the answer. And so we're asking the Eastside Church, what do you think? Is this something you would support? Um, and what we're doing for the next three months. On Sunday, October 6th, though, what I want to do is take about 45 minutes to an hour and answer questions, but I want to show you the nuts and bolts of how to celebrate recovery works, what it looks like in action. So it won't be principles and, you know, biblical ideas. It will be the nuts and bolts. This is what a ministry looks like. So I really hope you'll come. Give me your name and a phone number, and you need how many people are coming, and I'll be sure there's plenty of chicken enchiladas for you. Actually, Terry will make sure of that. Um, another note. I always check that down and get what I do with October 13th, Mission Sunday, you will not have class. So you're going to hear more about that, but I just want to give you a heads up. My understanding is they want an east side family portrait. I don't know any of the details. Does anyone know the details? Angeline does. Uh, tell us, Angeline.
Thank you, Angeline. Does everybody hear that? All right. Now that's 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 worthwhile stuff. Thank you for organizing that. One of these 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 missionaries are members of these guys. We're not we're not saving money out here. Yeah, sure. But just you know, helping support their coming here as family. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Thank you very much for making that happen. Okay, another note. Uh, October 27th during class, not the 17th, not the 17th, this is what I had last week slide, and people coming up to me saying, it's really weird, we're having a service on a Thursday night? <laughs> so what are you talking about? And so I apologize for that. Um, but that's during our regular class, and Mac and Mary will be back, and they will... Um, they will not, not naturally teaching, they will be giving their combined homework. And uh, again, their book will be on available. We'll bring another case of their book. And you can buy that for $15 cash or um, check. Make your, your checks out to Mary Owen. Don't make it out to Mac. She doesn't let Mac out. <laughs> Money or a sharp object, is that that thing? Yes, Did you think I was funny? I thought it was great. Okay. I chuckled at home. I was watching and again, spoiler alert, Eastside Church Christ plays a role in this story, a very large role in this story. So get the book and read it. Be here on the 27th and you'll, you'll be amazed at what God has done uh, in that broken, broken, broken life of Maximus. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You guys can't see over there, so um, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page when we talk about the idea of blessedness. Blessed are the in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Hey, Terry. Blessed are those who blessed, blessed, blessed. Well, what does that word mean? Some of yours might say, happy is. Does anybody have a different translation of attitude? What other words are you? Anybody? So, but you get the idea. That's not a word we use that often. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Is that a commandment that means I have to be poor in spirit in order to get into heaven? That is a fairly typical way of interpreting the Beatitudes. And what I tried to point out is, guess what? There are no imperative verbs anywhere connected to the Beatitudes. Not only that, there are no verbs connected with the Beatitudes. It doesn't say in the original, blessed are. It said, it said, blessed poverty of spirit. Blessed destitution of spirit. That's really what the word means. It's a principle that's being revealed. You want to live in a state of blessedness, of happiness, 
poverty of spirit the characteristic of that place. And so I told you, um, well, I'll show you in a minute. One of, another thing we're going to do today is solidify the meaning of hurt, pain, and habits, because that's what Celebrate Recovery says. Freedom from hurt, hang up, and habits. And so, you know, being an attorney, I want to make sure we, we, we defined our terms before we move into the, you know, this is what we got to make sure we're, we're dealing with the same terms, the same understanding of the terms. And to do that today, we're going to get to the case study of Jane Doe. Has any, did anybody read that? Okay, so we've got a few. So I'll pass it out. And Kenny, would you pass it out? It's right there. Terry, it's right there. So yeah, get a copy of this, and we'll go through it here in a few minutes and work the case study. Uh, for me, a case study helps us more than just lectures. Not that I don't like lectures, but I, I like lectures. I like to hear myself talk. <laughs> Just ask me. <laughs> so we're beginning to explore the cure for our spiritual condition, okay? Alright, well, uh, um, Pat, thank you for helping. Um, you get sorrow on your crown, my man. So, happiness. Happiness. I want to spend a little time with this word because I'm afraid we banter it around so cavalierly that if your translation does say happy are those who are born in spirit, you may not catch the full implication of what's being said. Our Declaration of Independence, when Thomas Jefferson wrote it, he said, you know, all men are created equal. I don't know if he meant for slaves that he owned at the time, but that's another story, right, Lowell? All men are created equal. I don't know if he meant women too, Stephanie. I, I assume he did, but he said men. All men are created equal to what? Are endowed with which are widely in the pursuit of happiness. Well, how was Thomas Jefferson using that word? What did he mean? When he used that word, anybody have a have a an idea? What's that? Okay. Okay. What's that? He. Okay. Anybody else? Contentment. Thank you. That's a that's a good word. Yeah, understand. Where did he get the idea? Did he make that up? The pursuit of happiness is that something Thomas Jefferson invented? No. I mean, it was being discussed a lot at the time, and so it was a concept that he incorporated into the founding of an entirely new country based on that principle. A human being thrives when it is enjoying happiness. But what is happiness? Is it, oh wow, I've got a I've got a Corvette, man, look at me, I'm happy. Well I can have a Corvette, I can have two Corvettes, I have ten Corvettes, and not be happy, right? And I can win the lottery. And not be happy. Do you know how many people commit suicide and they win the lottery? Isn't that crazy? 
So happiness is not to be confused with material gain or success in a career. So here's what I understand. Okay, we say in America, we say things like, well, I want to go get a good education. We tell our kids that, right? You want to get a good education. Why? Because you can get a good job. Why? You want to get a good job? money. Why? To afford things. To buy things. So I don't live under a bridge. So I can live a good life. Now we're moving closer, right? And what does it mean to live a good life? Well, each of us have to pursue that according to Thomas Jefferson and the philosophers from which he was getting this idea. But here's what it means. If you if you just if you just go on this, how long are you going to keep having adding things to this list? I want to have money so I can buy a Porsche, so I can drive on the beach, so I can be attracted to that chick. You know, I mean, this list just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. But at some point, it stops. When does it stop? It stops when you attain happiness. Because happiness is that which, when you attain it, you need nothing else. And that's what it's talking about. And blessed is saying the same thing. The term blessed goes back to the Greek mythology that there was the Blessed Isle. And the legend was that if you could ever get to the Blessed Isle, you might as well burn the boat that took you there. Why? Because you've arrived. You don't need anything else. You never have to leave the island for the rest of your existence. And for a Southern California boy, that would have to be there for me. But that's the idea. And so that's what Jesus is saying to us. Blessed. Blessedness exists when there's a destitution of the human spirit. Now that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Blessedness exists when there's human mourning. That is a contradiction, unless I don't understand the word, the, the meaning of those words, correct? Happy are you when you're crying? Happy are you when you're sad? That is a logical contradiction. So that's what we're have, have you had a chance to read um, James Story? So let's, let's run through Jane's story and see what we can come up with, okay? Uh, first child born a family of five, family married parents, not a religious family, but a good family. Dad's hardworking, good provider, mom was a stay-at-home mom, adores her daddy, daddy's favorite, 
Her younger brothers knew that she was the favorite. When she was 10, her parents call her into the den and tell her what? Mom and dad are getting divorced. And more than that, don't tell your brothers. We'll handle it. And yet months go by, and Jane's the only child that knows that mom and dad are getting divorced. After the divorce, Jane saw her daddy regularly. He came by, took him to dinner, took him to amusement parks, weekend trips, summer breaks, uh, school breaks. Occasionally, a gentleman would accompany Jane's daddy. Jane didn't think anything of it. He was a really nice guy. Four years after the divorce, Jane began seeing another man. At first, Jane thought nothing of it, but then as it got more and more common, she became more and more uneasy inside. When her mom announced that she was getting married, Jane was shocked. The wedding occurred three weeks. Three weeks later, and stepdad moved in. Stepdad and Jane didn't have a very good relationship, and when stepdad moved in, Daddy came around less and less. Now a freshman in high school, Jane began experimenting with alcohol and marijuana. By the time she was a junior, partying was a big part of her life. Her stepdad said nothing about her lifestyle, and her mom tried to at first, but then backed off. During Jane's senior year of high school, her relationship with her stepdad was non-existent. She and her mother tolerated one another. Her daddy rarely came around, and her partying escalated, and she became sexually active. She turned 18 in June, I'm sorry, she turned 18 in January, and the day after she found out she was pregnant. She went down to Planned Parenthood, they gave her options, she opted for an abortion. She didn't tell anybody, because she didn't have to. She lived with it. Graduated from high school, she was unable to get into a college or university of any standing because of her grades, and so she stayed at home with mom and stepdad for the first year and went to the local junior college. During college, Jane's beginning to grow up, right? Her grades started, her first year of junior college is going well, and so at the end, she was able to transfer to a prestigious university back east. Sophomore year at university was uneventful, her grades remained high. Her partying was almost nil. She was making friends. Her only concern was her weight. Junior year, she started attending a Bible study for women in her dorm. June, February that year, she became, I, I want to keep everything happening in June, uh, happened in February. She became a follower of Jesus Christ. That summer, she went on a mission trip, and she met John. She found herself in a serious relationship for the first time since high school. By Christmas, she knew she wanted to marry John. To her delight, John popped a question over spring break, and they got married. Jane is now in her late 50s, has a few years before she retires from her teaching job. She's still married to John, and they have three children. They have, uh, they're expecting their first grandchild any day now. Jane is deeply involved at church. Her husband, John, is too. Jane is the ministry leader for the children's program. She sings on the praise team. She's a likable person, but she is a perfectionist. She is sometimes condescending. You know what that means, right? 
holier than that. She can be quite severe in her criticism of others and her treatment of others. She's known to lose her temper and lash out at others. You know, VBS time. You've met Jane, right? Just with a different name. Most men avoid Jane. And she has no intimate friendships, either men or women. She tends to be literalistic. Her Bible, if she were being honest, if you pressed her, she would say that she's really not sure if she's saved, and she's certainly not convinced that God loves her. She never touches alcohol. She actively uh, asserts that social drinking is a sin. She opposes the legalization of marijuana. She is adamantly opposed to same-sex marriage. And if you try to discuss the issue with her, she becomes visibly upset. According to her treating physician, Jane is 100 pounds overweight. She struggles in a relationship with all males. If her closest friends spoke candidly, they would say that Jane does not like men, not even her own husband, John. They would also say that Jane is very opinionated, can be harsh in her manner, speaks her mind, demands perfection in everything from herself and from others, and is sometimes difficult to be around. So that is Jane. And here's the question. Can you identify her in Jane's life? As we're defining that term in this class. And how is it broken? How is the environment broken? Okay, the divorce. So we've got, we'll do our columns again. We got hurt. Now I've told you that everything in Celebrate Recovery starts with a letter, right? Or an acronym. And I add, I add a fourth one because I think biblically we should. The problem is it doesn't begin with H. Character. Okay, so the one is divorce. Her family. Abandonment. Okay, by whom? Her father. Okay. So dad and mom. What else? Lack of transparency. Who said that? That you passed? Elaborate on that. Like what? What do you think? What do you think about him, Pat? Come on, say it. Say it. Well, be presumptuous. Go there. He went to another side. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so, so if you come around when it was just Jane, if Jane brings another player in it and, and he's stopping around, around. And I don't know that I read it, but it says in there somewhere, Jane never knew where he lived. Right? He never, he took her to amusement park to take her out to dinner, but he never took her back to his place. Interesting. Take a hurt to Jane? At least confusion, right? Alright, what else? 
Abandoned again. She's not a part. 
She's not a part of her life. She's not a part of her, de- her death gap life. You're going you're gonna to do it. You're going to like it. Okay, let's move forward. We get out of here what time? After? Okay. We need to be going at 20 after Bruce says. So I'll quit at 25 at no. I'll quit at 19 after. And then, <laughs> You are so mean to me. <laughs> you really mean all in front of all my friends. So while I'm thinking that that Everybody heard that. And let me follow up, uh, Mary. Mary, right? I'm, I'm not trusting myself now. With all of that anxiety and all of that conflict, what do you think she did with that, knowing her family environment? She said she ate it. She ate it. And she began to numb herself. So what, what hang-ups do you think Jane developed? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Say it again. Hate men. Why do you think that is? <laughs> you think she knew her dad was a homosexual? Do you think she resented his sexual orientation? Do you think she was able to deal with it? So what happened if you tried to talk to her about the issue? She got mad. She got angry. Go ahead. probably upset for a whole lot of reasons that she doesn't herself even understand. All she knows is that when you touch that button, she goes off. Right? What habit did she develop to respond to these hurts and these hang-ups? Became critical. That's later in life, correct? What did she? What was her first response? Hey, Bob. This is probably more of an umbrella hang-up. I feel like she's got a hang-up with this. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she was 
not good. She caught all the very good. And so she's fighting, you know, she's trying to change that and because she acts out initially the drug and then she becomes hyper perfectionist. <laughs> she's trying to prove this new this new adult thing that is counter to what she's witnessed. So it's like she just she can't deal with being an adult. At least as a female. you, Alan Austin, and Jake, uh, Jake Mogi, are shepherds. Do you think we have any people that come to this church that are in the same boat? Savior, 
repented of this broken world, been immersed into Him, do you know what your last concern should be? Your salvation. How do I know that? Because God Almighty has accomplished it and He promises us He has accomplished it. It is a done deal. We are children of God. Done. Period. That's why I played the song at the beginning. I am a child of God. Not because I'm a great guy. I'm a, I'm a basket case, my friends. I'm a recovering alcoholic and a perfectionist and a neurotic and I'm all kinds of things. But I know this for certain. I am a child of God. And so are you. And our, I wish that our brother Jonathan Pace was here today because I would thank him once again for his tabletop two weeks ago. Because he got up and told us. What's your worth? You're worth what God is willing to pay for you. You know what God paid for you? He paid everything he had for you. And so that's what you're worth. Carl, Rowan, 50, 11. Now, but you must consider a mind yourself later in the day. It is sin in the eyes of God in time. And I interpret that as I've got to get sin out of my life or I won't go to heaven or be pleasing to God. I, I interpret it for years. What's it saying, Paul? You count yourself what God has already done. What's the other passage in Ephesians? You know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Man, I've been doing that for years. You know what it drove me to? It drove me to alcoholism and a nervous breakdown. I'm surprised it hasn't driven Jane into the same place. Bless her heart. We're all guilty. Sorry, John. You He's such a neat soul, you know. He won't just edge on me. Couple of things. One, under heaven. Colloquial phrase. What's eating you? <laughs> well, she's eating her problem. Did you hear that? Our, our, our expression. What's eating you? It is literally true. Spiritual, emotional, physical. It's eating you. And you had two, so that's one. Message Bible. Read it. Beatitudes. This is the first one. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. This is what Celebrate Discovery is all about, folks. And all I'm saying to you as a church, if you want to be attractive, to broken people. We are not going to be attractive to broken people by getting our doctrines straight. We are not going to be attractive to broken people by, you know, all of the exterior things. You know how we're going to be attractive to broken people? When we show them that we're broken people. When we get real with them. I struggle with this. 
You struggle with something else, but the dynamic is exactly the same. Put your arm around me, I'll put my arm around you, let's walk this thing together. You know, and if I grab you on this side and my wound is here and your wound is there, let's switch sides. Huh? You know, because I know God started a work in you. And what does Paul tell us? God will perfect it in his time. Let me share one more thing and I'll let you go. You know my story if you've been in this class. Sexually assaulted at four and a half years old. Hang up perfectionism, overachievement. Habits, alcohol, drugs, depression, fanaticism, left my family, tried to kill myself. The world will be better off without me. That's where that took me. And what is happening to me now if we, if we go to Jane and we say, well, look, Jane, you know, you have all these bad habits and you're, you're forming a bad character and you just can't do that. And I don't care if your parents were bad parents. I don't care that they got a divorce. I don't care. I don't care. You can't use that as an excuse for your bad behavior. Okay, I understand that. I was molested by a neighborhood boy and was in fear of being a homosexual for 50 years. You think that affected the way I acted in my life? You bet it did. Does all of the obnoxious, bombastic, what looks like arrogance, right? I mean, you look at me and you see my achievement and, and I may come across you. You say, he's an arrogant son of a gun. Am I arrogant? No. I'm totally broken inside. And I have such a terrible self-esteem. So you've completely misdiagnosed the problem. I act like I'm arrogant, but that's not what's happening inside. And that's all I'm trying to get us to see. Someone comes to us and they present these behaviors and we say, you have to change your behavior. No, they need to meet Jesus Christ. And they need to fall in love with Jesus Christ. And Jesus, our Savior, needs to slowly but patiently and kindly lead them on the journey that he has you and I on. And that, my friends, will make us attractive broken people. Let me lead us in a closing prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Good news to broken people. Good news to people like me who try and try and try and try and try to get it right and simply can't. Thank you, God, for breaking me. Thank you for breaking my spirit. Thank you for bringing me to my knees and showing me that I can't do it. And showing me, God, that you will do it through Jesus Christ. Thank you for him. Thank you for his love. Thank you for what he's doing in all of our lives. Help us to share that in your broken world to your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.
Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.